Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Thorn and Cross, Haunted Nights Live. Uh, you're here with Alistair Cross, that's me, and Tamara Thorne. Thank you for joining us. Uh, before we get started tonight, I just want to let you guys know that if you are listening to this any time before May 31st, 2018, you're eligible to win a free ebook copy of the latest Thorn and Cross novel, Darling Girls. All you have to do is sign up for the newsletter by going to our websites at alistaircross.com or tamarthorne.com, and after you sign up, ask two of your friends to do the same. If you're already signed up for the newsletter, you're still eligible. All you have to do is get two of your friends to sign up with you, then email our publicist at contact at bamliterature.com. That's contact at bamliterature.com with the email addresses of your friends. If they sign up, you have your choice of an EPUB or Moby copy of Darling Girls. Uh, no email addresses will be shared. Uh, the only thing you'll receive ever is the monthly newsletter. Uh, if you already have a copy of Darling Girls, but you still want to be included in the giveaway, just follow the same instructions and let our publicist know that you already have a copy of Darling Girls and would like to choose a different title from Tamara Thorne, Alistair Cross, or Thorne and Cross. You can find our books by visiting the library page on our websites, which are alistaircross.com or tamarthorne.com. Again, uh, if you do this, just contact our publicist at contact at bamliterature.com. This offer is valid only for EPUB and Mobi copies, and the giveaway ends May 31, 2018. All right. Tonight, uh, Tamara and I welcome guest host QL Pierce, who's going to be doing something decidedly un-YA and chatting with us about our latest release, Darling Girls. But first, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Q. Uh, she, uh, her many accomplishments include, but are not limited to, being the author of the hit series Scary Stories for Sleepovers, Titan AE, The Land Before Time, and over 150 books for middle grade and young adult readers. Her work has won the Carter G. Woodson Gold Medal, the Moonbeam Children's Book Award, and many others. Her multi-award winning book, Red Bird Sings, received praise from Publishers Weekly, the School Library Journal, and the Library and Media Connection. Uh, if you like scary stories, be sure and check out Spying Tinglers, her latest release, which uh, is available in ebook and paperback at Amazon. Uh, that said, welcome aboard, Q. Thanks for coming. Well, thank you so much. I'm really excited to uh, be able to talk to you guys together. Because uh, I know what you can get up to sometimes. <laughs> but the, those who are listening already know that Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross are the hosts of Haunted Nights Live, but that's not the only thing they collaborate on. They write many wonderful novels together. Uh, Tamara has been publishing since the 90s, and her novels and or solo novels include international bestsellers Moonfall, Haunted, Bad Things, Candle Bay, and many others. And Alistair Cross first published in 2012, and his novels include the bestsellers The Crimson Corset, The Angel Alejandro, and Sleep Savannah Sleep. And together they've written The Cliff House Haunting, Mother, which is incredible, <laughs> um, and the Gothic series The Ravencrest Saga. So tonight we'll be talking about their newest vampire novel, Darling Girls. So first, for full disclosure, we all work in the same creative space, so I'm privy to a lot of the behind-the-scenes world of Thorn and Cross, and I have to say that I wish there was a way I could put together an outtake reel of the hilarious things you two come <laughs> up with. So um, <laughs> I would tell all, believe me, um, how did you two first connect? Ah, you answer that. All right. That was well, me. Um, not you. I was I was um, in uh, a library in Salt Lake City, probably mm, late '90s. Anyway, I was in I was in my late teens, and I I came across a book. Uh, I was just browsing through the horror section, and I came across a book called Moonfall, and I picked it up, and it had this great you know, uh, gargoyle on the cover, and I thought it was fantastic. And so I just I just checked it out and took it home. I read it. I loved it. I went back and got more Tamar Thorne books, and I remember just being fascinated by these books. And I um, started uh, kind of stalking Tamara, I guess, on, on, you know, this is back in the days of dial-up, and I, I didn't even have, I didn't even have the Internet. I had to go to my mom's house to use it, and I'd get on her dial-up and spend, you know, 45 minutes 
and I would go look up uh, TamaraThorne.com, and I would I would check out her books and you know buy them. And anyway, I I got all of her books, and the years passed on, and I I um, kind of uh, fiddled around with writing, uh, but I started getting really serious about it in 2005, and I had written my first book, two books actually, and and one of them got published. And that was great. It was it was fantastic, and I I was happy. But I realized I didn't know any other writers, really, none in my field, anyway. And I wanted to meet other horror writers, so I got this idea that I would start uh, conducting author interviews on my blog. So um, Tamara was one of the first people that I hit up because I was really excited to meet her. And I found her on Facebook, and I asked her mm-hmm. if she would do an interview, and she said yes. And somehow, we just ended up really hitting it off. And I mm-hmm. think from that day forward, we've we've talked, you know, through phone or text or whatever, um, every day. And then yes. at some point, several months later, she asked me if I wanted to collaborate on a book with her. And, of course, I said yes. Yeah, I don't know what that was all about. (laughs) It was, and it was like I heard those words come out of my mouth. Oh, my God, what have I said? But I I meant it and um, because I was never going to try collaborating again. That's not a good thing to do. But it was – this was – I think this is what we were waiting for, both of us. It was sort of meant to be or something. It just clicked. And I don't talk on the phone to anybody if I can help it. And, yeah, Alistair's right. We're always connected. It's weird, very weird. You generally, um, I mean, it's more than just a connection. I mean, you you have an incredible output between your solo books and the, the books that you do together. So you're working on several books at a time. What are the pros and cons of doing that? <laughs> Well, <laughs> we we both like so, use so many characters that we have trouble remembering who's in which book sometimes. Uh, yeah, that's what else? That's only one of the cons. It's uh, I'd say that the pros are that, that we are productive. We're we're always working. We're always producing, <clears throat> which is fantastic. But um, I think the cons are just that it's 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 hard to keep them straight. Sometimes we've we've accidentally put the wrong characters in the wrong book before. Like, <laughs> you know, like, for example, we're, we're writing Mother, and all of a sudden there's Belinda, who's the, the main character in, in Ravencrest. Ravencrest. And we're like, yeah. wait a minute, wait a minute. This is, we're in the wrong book. Poor Belinda. Is it working? <laughs> Except then we have to stop so, and giggle over it. Yeah, the best yeah. thing though is Alistair is such a slave driver, as you well know. And I, I mean, we sort of have our own little roundtable here. You sit and work on your things, Q, and Alistair and I do, and we all read to each other our output for the day. And it, it's because Alistair, you said something about him that was really cool. Can you just tell us what that was about his ability to get things done? Oh yes, I, I don't forget the exact wording. Um, Gosh, I, but I do know the sentiment there is that, that uh, Alistair, you are so on point and so driven. Um, you just, when you set your mind to something, you get it done. And everybody if around he, you has to get it done too. <laughs> exactly. And if, if he, we, we use you for that. If, if you, what Q actually said was that if you were a woman and you were pregnant, you'd have the baby in three months. Yes. Yeah. Get on with it. Yeah, it's, it's funny because you know sometimes I because... hear you guys laughing. Mm-hmm. Uh, like uh, Tamara will read back and re- be reading a passage and then say something completely outrageous, and even her face looks stunned, and then you're both laughing. What's going on with that? Like hyenas. <laughs> yeah. Well, you heard a couple of those today. Um, our, we, when we read, we, we read what we've read first thing as we switch from story to story. We, or, or if we, we'll spend an hour a day on our solos, and then we read back to each other. That's what was happening today, this morning. 
And um, Alistair, I always read because he doesn't like to, and he likes to listen, and I hate listening. So we're, you know, made for each other. So he goes on ahead. I'm merrily reading along, and he changes words, and it's always very, very rude the way we like it. <laughs> that's what happens. What was that one today you did? <laughs> Just, um, it was uh, a little girl on a swing and she was pumping her legs and I changed legs to hips and turned it into some, you know, <laughs> turned it into something yeah. else. And uh, <laughs> So when you're reading along, you're like, and then she was pumping her hips and then you kind of go, huh? <laughs> You cracked us both up with that one. And most of them are much worse than that. I can testify, because I occasionally get to read um, drafts, and there's been uh, a couple of things left in there by mistake, and I blush very easily. (laughs) They aren't left in by mistake. We choose to do that to you. (laughs) She was our our content editor. (laughs) Suddenly I'm red from the from the neck up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh no, you didn't say that. Yeah, we do that on purpose. We leave we leave we leave yeah. little things in to make sure our editors are paying yeah. attention. The worst the worst thing yeah. about that is, is the, the chronic fear that one day we'll forget and it will go to publication <laughs> god awful. But we double yeah. check these things. But yeah, we do that yeah. to our editors on purpose. We like to keep them on their toes. Yeah. Yeah, we have a line editor who who is so good about not making any comments about what the what we're writing that she will not mention that mm-hmm. we've put something in there right utterly back. obscene and disgusting, yep. and she she won't she won't say a word uh, once once she but says, she, "Are you sure you want this here?" <laughs> exactly, and yet she catches she catches every misplaced comma, every every period, yeah. every. She, good job but she won't touch the content she's just like if that's what you want to say then that's what you yeah. want to say and it's like that's you really it? think we that, want to say that's that why, <laughs> yeah. that's yeah. why Q is our only beta reader yeah. <laughs> she'll yeah. call us out on everything yeah. <laughs> I can't believe you said that yeah <laughs> so do, now, do you keep regular working hours or are you in, in touch at all times I mean, if you get an idea at midnight will you call each other Text. Well, we text, and yeah. we both text. know we turn our sound down low, so we can text all night long, and often do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we brainstorm. Yeah, or I've, I've, yeah, I've texted, yeah. I've texted Tamara at two, three, four o'clock in the morning because I'm a total night owl. I, I, yeah, stay up really late, usually in work or read or whatever. I've texted, mm-hmm. I've texted her at two, three, four in the morning, and she'll text back. That's I have right. Then we can do. Yeah. This. Then we can do. That. I'm like, okay, go back yeah. to bed. <laughs> And then I fall asleep in the middle of the text, and it makes no sense. Uh, but, yeah, I, but, no, you never wake me up. I wake up, have to go pee, and then I look, and then I check, see if Alistair's been on, and, and we just go from there. And I text him at early hours in the morning, like 6 in the morning when I first wake up, and I know he's not going to hear it because he always turns his phone down. So it's safe. But, so, yeah, we're always texting. Okay. About the collaboration, and that's if you could change one thing about your collaborator. Let's start with you, Tamara. If you could change one thing about Okay. Alistair likes to turn on his Skype camera whenever his kitty paparazzi is in his lap. This is fine. We we do this all the time. We show each other our pussy cats. But he does does it one he one ups. What he does is he grooms his kitty. With his oh. tongue, just to oh, gross no. me out, and the kitty. It's oh. it's quite something to see. And it's like, Alistair, stop that. <laughs> I wish he wouldn't groom the cat with his tongue. That's what I wish. <laughs> well, okay, actually, what that is generally is when she she's she's very affectionate and she'll maul me. She really does. She'll she'll get on me and she won't leave me alone. So. If I lick her, she head, calls it raping if his I lick face. Her, like, yeah, yeah, she rapes my face. Yeah. So if I lick, yeah. if I lick her between the ears, she gets off me and goes into <laughs> her head. So sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you just gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah, he, he <laughs> doesn't lick her butt or anything. Just between the ears. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's something yeah. you can't do for yourself, you know. You can't reach your own. Yeah. Head, exactly. so that's, that's no, no. But, 
I love my cats, okay. but I don't lick them between the ears. Okay. <laughs> so, Alistair, what would you change about Tamara? Well, I wish you'd let me groom my cat on Skype. But <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, like to, you, to be honest. I can stop. To be honest, I, I wouldn't change anything, even if there was some small thing. I think it could be like a domino effect. You change one thing, and then what is that effect? And then what is that effect? It's like I wouldn't actually change anything yeah. because how how much more perfect really could it be? I couldn't. Is that oh, true? I mean, I couldn't spend eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve hours sometimes a day with someone. I don't really know why I'm able to to do it with. It's just a chemistry thing. But I I'm not a yeah. people person. Don't. It's hard. I, I just I wouldn't change anything. I couldn't. I wouldn't dare. Uh-uh. No, seriously, oh, uh-uh. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah it, it's 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 what just something that was supposed to happen. Hmm? Oh, okay. yeah. Tamara, let him groom his cat after he said that. I know, right? I do let him. I just like to bitch about it. He gets hair on his tongue, and it's like, ow, don't show me the hair on your tongue. You know? Okay, so, oh, so let's and, talk a yeah. bit. Oh, no, go okay. ahead. Oh, I was going to mention the Cletus face. It will oh. never be seen in public. One time he sent me a photo of it instead of just doing it on Skype, and I had to delete the photo. It was so horrifying. His Cletus face. <laughs> His Cletus face. I'm glad he can do it. I just don't want him to send me any more still photos, especially framed ones. I'm not putting them on my wall. I don't care what you say. <laughs> And, and Hugh, you did get to see the Cletus face. You know what I'm talking I did. about. I did. Yeah, I still you have my face. Yeah. 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 Oh. He, yeah. He's so probably doing it right now. Let's talk a little bit about okay. the vampires. Okay. So. so All right. Yeah. Going back, uh, what was the genesis for each of you of your first interest in vampires? Was it writerly, or was it uh, watching the scary movie, or or what? What you? I always liked them okay. They're not ghosts. They're not nearly as fun as ghosts normally. But I liked them. I liked, uh, you know, I read Dracula and liked that. And I read Interview and liked that. And then I read one that I really liked, which was a George R. R. Martin one called Fever Dream. But the reason I got the writerly interest was I wanted to write a book called The Forgotten. And my editor actually thought it was science fictiony and he made a deal with me if you'll write a vampire novel you can write that book so I said okay and uh-huh. then by the time I kind of tap danced through the book but I was having fun with it it's it's comedy more than anything else sort of a French farce but by the time I got through with the book years and years ago I liked it and and I left it open for a sequel that's me now Alice okay Alistair all right. Well, while she was saying that, I was thinking of all the lies I could tell about, you know, <laughs> to avoid the truth. But I'm going to tell the truth. Um, I always loved vampires. Uh, when I was a kid, I, I would write little stories about vampires. I always loved them. But there was, back in 2004, 2005, there were these books that were really popular, and everybody was reading them. And I was at a point in my life where I really wanted to write. I really wanted to write so badly that I just, I, and I, I just, that's what I wanted to do. And I, I, it was all kind of new to me. I didn't know exactly what I was doing. And people said to me, oh, you have to read these books. You have to read these books. You have to read these books. And so I did. I found these books that everybody was reading that were so popular. And those <laughs> books were the Twilight series. Barkley Vampires. Yes, and what happened was I was reading them, and I I won't say I didn't like them because I did read them all, and I thought, well, okay, I want to see what happens next. But I also thought this isn't all that um, original. Um, It it didn't seem – I'm having a hard time saying this without – I'm not trying to be insulting – it just these books struck me as being pretty uh, simple, and I thought I can do this. If she can do this, I can mm-hmm. do this. Mm-hmm. And and I did like the books. I know a lot of people don't, but I, I liked them. <laughs> but but they were very basic. They were very simple, and I just thought I I can do this. And so I took that um, desire I'd always had to write and to write vampires, and I sat down and did it. My 
vampires, I have to point out, are nothing like the the, the Twilight vampires. But that really was kind of like a catalyst. It, it made it it made it feel attainable. It made being a writer feel attainable for me. Well, so. your vampires have really, you know, they have a, a a definite following, and there there are many readers who love the uh, Crimson Cove vampires. Um, so why do you think readers, Alistair, are so attracted to vampires? Eternal life. I think it's the prospect of eternal life. It's the same reason that we're so attracted to religion, because that's what religion talks about. That's what they push. That's what vampires are, uh-huh. the, the prospect of living forever. That's my opinion. Okay, and the Cara, romantic and sexy. Similar. Yeah. Um, yeah, all that plus sex. Yeah, it makes death yeah. sexy. You don't have to fear death because you're going to live forever. And I don't really know otherwise, but it's sex and death, basically. Um, okay. You get to stay young and sexy forever. Yeah. Okay, so before we move out of the topic, uh, from Dracula to Benicula, each of you, um, who's your favorite vampire? Mm. The one in George R. R. Martin's Fever Dream. I don't remember his name, but he's on a he, he commissions a steamboat captain on the Mississippi in like eighteen fifties or sixties. And um it's quite graphic and very unusual and I love it. I've read it a couple of times. It's been years. I need to read it again. Okay. Oh, oh and, say... and I did love oh, I did love Salem's Lots Vampires in the trailer park under the beds and things. That was cool. No, you're fine. I would say when I was growing up, I did read Benicula, and also when I was growing up, I did read Dracula, or at least I tried to. I was really young, but I I got to that part where the count was climbing up the wall, and it just creeped Uh me out in such a way that I was like, I just, I I couldn't get past it. And I think, and of course, I did love Benicula. Those were my favorite books uh, when I was a kid. I'd have to just say Dracula, though, that I mean the, the original. That's that's what inspired me the most. That's what fascinated me the most. It's a good story. Okay. I w- I would have to say if I was, and I'm going to say it anyway because I can. Um, <laughs> I was really creeped out by the little girl vampire in Interview with a Vampire. Something about a child being a vampire. Same thing with Salem's Lot. The the uh, the little boy who was one of the first vampires yeah. to to come and and you know go after his little brother or something. Something mm-hmm. about that just scares me so much. The children as vampires. I mean, children are basically psychopaths anyway. They're dangerous yeah. until they develop their morals. So yeah, a, a child vampire is extra creepy, you know, with lots of cheese on it and marshmallows. Yeah. (laughs) Well, right now, I I want to talk about Darling Girls. But So, Alistair, if we could take the the break so we can then go into Darling Girls without any breaks. (laughs) All right. I'm just going to take a second to remind everybody that you're listening to Thorn and Cross, Haunted Nights Live. We are hosts, Alistair Cross and Tamara Thorne Duck. Uh, and Tamara Thorne. <laughs> Her name's Tamara Thorne.com. I've done this many times. <laughs> you can learn more about what we do at our websites, which are alistaircross.com and tamarathorne.com, or you can visit our mutual blog at thorneandcross.wordpress.com. If you tweet, our handle is at thorneandcross, uh, or you can find us individually at at tamarathorne or at crossalister. Uh, you can also visit us on Facebook on our 100 Nights Live page. For more information on the show, you can visit Authors on the Air on Facebook, Twitter, and at AuthorsOnTheAir.com. If you're listening online, please click the follow button. This is a broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, LLC. All right. That's all. Okay, so let's, <laughs> let's talk about Darling Girls. Okay, so now this, there's, a, there's a whole history. There's two histories here. So let's start, Tamara, with uh, the Darlings themselves they're a family they were a family before they were turned right right and it it was uh inspired by a place called the madonna inn in san luis obispo which is a a crazy hotel with theme rooms and there's caveman rooms and everything is either bright blue or magenta pink there but it fascinated me as a kid because we drive past there every easter going to my grandma's in san francisco and my mom and we'd stop along pismo beach and all that so 
I love setting stories along there because it's an excuse to go back. So the Darlings have a hotel, and it's uh, not like the Madonna Inn. It's right on the ocean in a place called Candle Bay, and it's spooky. Um, well, it's not spooky. It's very high class, hotsy totsy. But they have, you know, Dracula rooms, harem rooms, you name it, they've got it, and it's very nice. And they feed off their guests very politely, and or they have bottled blood, um, and they they've been around for ages. And how it happened was way back, probably the late 1500s. Uh, Orion, darling, Uncle Ori, decided to change all his nieces and nephews. His his family. And uh, Stephen and Natasha are the eldest siblings and they run the hotel. And um, then there's Ivor Darling, who uh, he's the head of security. He's very large. And then we have the 16-year-old, forever 16-year-old twins, Lucy and Ivy, and they're very naughty girls. There's also a little boy named David who is a child vampire, but we almost had him in Darling Girls, but we had to write him out because the book was getting too long. But we'll meet him eventually. So they they live carefully and well, and they've had this hotel for many years, and there's secrets underneath the hotel and things like that. Okay. okay. Alistair, can you explain the history of the, the vampires at Crimson Cove? How are they related, or are they, or how did they come together? Well, they're not... They, they were not related as humans necessarily. Um, they go back also several hundred years, and they divided into two factions. Um, one that believed that humans should be basically treated as slaves, um, sustenance and, and slaves. And the other group, which is Michael's group, who uh, believes that uh, they should coexist peacefully among the humans and you know, cause harm to none. And they want to be humane. Um, the Crimson Corset is a story about those two kind of coming together, going head-to-head in the town of Crimson Cove. And um, they, they kind of create, they, they've just met people along the way, and they, they're currently right now in, in the middle of building their armies back up because things are going down again. I'm working on a sequel to the Crimson Corset, and... Yeah, they they have um, quite a long history that goes back a long time, and uh, Natasha Darling from Candle Bay, uh, come to find out, has a history with Michael from the Crimson Corset, and like I think that goes back like three or four hundred years. I don't remember. Yeah. But yeah. It's, it's okay. That's yeah, the from. the Darlings yeah. made a made cameos in the Crimson Corset. That's how this Getting Our Vampires first started, together first started. I see. Okay. Well, yeah. could you, uh, could we have a reading perhaps from Horror. Darling Girls? Sure. We chose these, these two scenes that are side by side, little short ones, uh, showing a newly created vampire who, who does end up with a, a big role in this book eventually, but uh, it's the newly created vampire waking up in the morgue and the attendant's reaction. Good God almighty, my throat hurts. This was the first conscious thought that Norman Keeler had. He was aware of that agonizing pain before he knew where or even who he was because the very cords of his throat had been shredded and torn out. It had taken nearly 24 hours for him to be reborn. And once he was, he was assailed by a hunger so deep, so painfully acute, that his agonized throat became an afterthought. He was hungry, starving. There was a deep need within him, a greedy one that consumed him and needled into his very blood and bones. It was like a heroin craving, but it wasn't heroin he was jonesing for. It was something else. And he was cold, very cold. He opened his eyes and saw nothing. Then he remembered the strange woman on the pier, her pale face, her jetted breasts, and her teeth. He recalled those tiny ivory daggers in her mouth, like little blades sinking deep into the flesh of his throat. He touched his skin there. It was smooth, but the pain remained. Am I dead? What the fuck is going? Whistling. Playful, light-hearted whistling. It came from somewhere beyond, well, wherever the hell he was. Norman felt around, finding the smooth walls of his tomb slick and cool to the touch. He gasped for breath, feeling like he'd forgotten to breathe, and detected the scents of chemicals and something else. A very faint something that was rotting like a bowl of spoiled fruit in a faraway room. 
but mostly he just smelled disinfectant and other things, foreign chemical things. He slowed his breathing and listened to the whistling, trying to determine where it came from. It was, he realized, a particularly beboppy rendition of Luck Be a Lady Tonight. It stopped, and Norman heard a decidedly male voice. He couldn't make out the words. Then a slight tapping, as if someone were patting a hard surface from somewhere outside. Then the man's words came clear. Hard luck, fella. Guess you won't be slurping the sausage anymore. The man chuckled. What the fuck? What the unholy fuck? Panic seized him, and Norman began to scream, pounding at the walls of his cold black tomb. Jim Bottoms loved working nights at the morgue. It was quiet, serene, and he could do just about whatever he wanted except when a body was brought in. When that happened, he had to hide his box of Twinkies and his German porn magazines. Ach, Fräulein, that's amazing boobies you have. Helga was his current favorite, a buxom blonde braided beauty posed in a green Oktoberfest dress with beer, garter belt, stockings, and no panties or blouse. He'd had to leave her waiting on his desk to make the rounds, but he promised her he'd come back soon, come being the key word. He couldn't wait to splash her up proper with his own brand of Jim Bottoms baby gravy. Get out the Kleenex, Helga, you big pink apple strudel, you. I'll be back soon to taste your pie. He left his office and entered the morgue, whistling Sinatra. The tables were empty. Jim liked the clean room and always put all his guests away at night. It helped keep the smell down, too. He patted one of the compartments in the, of the body fridge. How you doing tonight, Mrs. Miller? Comfy in there? Mrs. Miller, bless her soul, had come in last night, not long before the poor guy who'd had his throat torn out. Mrs. Miller, opal to her friends, had slipped on a stool and broke her neck while watering her plants. She died instantly, or at least painlessly. Good job, Mrs. Miller. He resumed whistling, thinking about the poor guy in the middle cabinet. Jim felt bad for the throatless surfer. He was paper white from blood loss and wrinkled from the water, and his neck looked like a special effects from the walking dead. His boss told him the guy had been a he-whore. Jim, whistling about Lady Luck, approached the boys' compartment and patted the door. Hard luck, ma'am. Guess you won't be slurping the sausage anymore, he chuckled. Craving another Twinkie, even though they were going straight to his derriere, he turned to head up back to the office. That's when the screaming began. Startled, Jim stumbled back, slipped, and landed on his prodigious ass. What the fuck? Somebody yelled from inside one of the compartments. No, Jim said, scooting back, grappling to stand up. Get me out of here. Holy hell and a half. Jim grabbed for the pink, for the desk phone as the screaming continued. It had to be the he-whore because it sure as hell wasn't Mrs. Miller. He dropped the phone as realization struck. You bastard, I'm on to you. This was just the kind of sick joke that old Ernie, the daytime morgue attendant, liked to pull. Let me out of here. Not on your life, Ernie. I'm cold. Let me out. Ernie started screaming again and pounding on the walls. Jim considered. It was cold in those boxes. Maybe Ernie accidentally locked himself in. Let me out. The screams and pounding grew louder. Jim approached the fridge and realized Ernie had gone all out, moving the hee-haw and taking his spot so he could really give him a scare. Jim stood there, calmly listening to the screaming, pleas for freedom. Ernie, can you hear me? Let me out. I might, Jim smiled to himself. You promise never to do this again? Let me out. Promise? I promise. Fucking let me out. Okay, okay. You will like that's like I put you in there. You've only yourself to blame. He pulled the drawer open and screamed as a face full of sharp teeth, a face that was not Ernie's, shrieked and tore Jim's throat out. Yeah. That's incredible. Um, no, thank I, I, that character is Norman, right? Mm-hmm. Right. That's the, the the young surfer guy, and I know mm-hmm. that that uh, he goes on to uh, be a most remarkable character. So. Um, if you're listening, it really have to uh, have to get this one. This is fantastic, and it did scare me. I have to say, after I when I was finished, it was the you know like a week of keeping the the night light on in the bedroom, you know that kind of thing. So it was pretty scary. But, uh, okay, so I have um, I have questions about combining the two. 
how well do the vampires of Crimson Cove and Candle Bay know each other? Do any of them have a history? We know they're separate histories, but do any of them have a history together? Uh, mainly Michael and Natasha. They they kind of have a, a reluctant kind of love affair, I guess. Um, and but they, they left a long <laughs> time ago, but things yeah, are happening. But, yeah. The, the vampires of Candle Bay and the vampires of Crimson Cove are slightly different creatures, um, meaning they're kind of like, uh, I don't know, different races of the same different species, races. I guess. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And so they are slightly different, and that's one thing that we really had fun with was, you know, because there's so much there's so much vampire lore out there that we thought, you know, you know, people pick and choose what they want and what they what they don't want and what serves their story, and, and that's fine. But we had fun being able to explain where a lot of this lore comes from, and we figure it's because there are different kinds of vampires. There are, you know, some react certain ways to holy items and some don't. Some have venom, some don't. Um, yeah. So, but these two, these two clans go pretty far back because all vampires, at the end of the day, come from the same place. So, and you know, maybe they don't even know exactly where that place is, but it's just like us, you know, we humans, you know, we all came from somewhere. Okay. We well, have... now there is a, the legend of the the Trueborns. We know. Um, Julian Valentine is very different from all of the other vampires. So yeah, how, is, a, how is he different? He's a, a rare trueborn. He would scientifically, instead of Homo sapien, he's Vampirus erectus in so many ways. Um, he is a vampire through and through. He's not a hybrid of a vampire and a human, which most vampires have turned from human to vampire. And... Um, he has characteristics of both. He can he can turn in one bite. He can have venom or not. He pretty much can choose. But this has been thousands of you know thousands and thousands of years, and so over all this time, this has all kind of changed. Um, so that the different vampires evolved differently because this is not you know a few hundred years. This, this millennia upon millennia, and he's, there aren't very many left. But he's one. Okay, how closely do you follow vampire lore in general? I mean, so you're saying that the old, you know, they can't be out in the sun or what might destroy them. This might be a little bit different for each of the clans, right? So is there anything anything in vampire lore that you are sticking to it and that's it, that's how it works? It's all kind of our own version, but our vampires have lower body temperatures, but they do breathe. Uh, there's a elixir that Julian is responsible for that allows wounds that they leave to heal faster and allows them to uh, um, taste a little food, things like that, because they do miss it. And But overall, they... I would just say, Alistair, they're, they're basically regular vampires, but ours aren't, ours aren't chilly cold. They can get cold. When they're asleep, they virtually don't breathe, but when they're moving, okay. they can work up a little bit of a sweat. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, Darling Girls is a blending of um, of the two books, Crimson Cove mm-hmm. and Candle Bay, but also others. The, the, it's a blending of books and worlds. So, mm-hmm. its setting is from another book entirely, Eternity. Why did you mm-hmm. choose that setting? Well, it's I wrote a book, a novel called Eternity years ago and we're pretty pleased with it it's ba- eternity is a little tiny town in far north of california and it's, it has a, a mountain called ice house and ice house is basically based in the lore of mount shasta which says things like the count saint germain has seen their walking and there's people living inside the mountain and all that and in the first novel this was a story about Jack the Ripper, actually, and all the strange people that live in eternity. And um, the second story, we took advantage of the mountain with all the vampires living in it and turned that on its ear. Um, so that's why we used it, because it's a crazy place anyway. The real place is crazy, too. It's great. Okay. 
Um, it, it, now, you include several crossover characters in the books as well. I know Coastal Eddie has made several appearances, usually fairly small, and Sheriff yeah. Zach Tully from Eternity mm-hmm. uh, is in, in the spotlight in Darling Girls, as is Coastal Eddie. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a two-part question. Okay, um, how did that happen? I mean, why did you decide to bring these characters in? And then I want to know if Bobby and Sean from uh, the Angel Alejandro, if they're coming mm-hmm. back ever uh, or anybody else coming back from any of your other books. So the first part of the question is, is um, why did you bring in Coastal Eddie and Zach Tully? Why those well, two? Most- Coastal Eddie first appeared in Candle Bay at least a decade ago. And I created him sort of for a commentary. And I, I think I used him in a couple more solos now and then. He's commentary. And then Alistair said, why don't we start using him? And he's used him in his solos, and we use him all the time in our uh, collaborations. But this time, and this was Alistair's idea, why don't we give him a real role? Why don't we see him in action? And he's he's a main secondary character in this book. And uh, Sheriff Tully of Eternity, well, he's the Sheriff of Eternity, and now he has to deal with vampires. And uh, I fully intend sometime to write another Sheriff Tully book in, uh, in Eternity. So that was a lot of fun. But Bobby and Sean, tell him about that. Alistair, well, they Bobby were, and Sean? They were- yeah, they were created in uh, the Angel Alejandro, and they were there. Uh, the, the book got kind of gruesome, and so I thought they'd be great comic relief. And they were just kind of meant as uh, throwaway characters, and I even had their deaths planned out and everything like that. And as the book went on and on, I really ended up liking these guys, and I'm like, I, I, I can't kill these guys. I can't kill them. So <laughs> so I, I had them leave town, and um, probably what I'll end up doing with them is at some point bringing them into the the uh, Crimson Cove series. Um, yeah. I don't know if they'll make an appearance in the one that I'm writing right now, but I can see them showing up. It's getting um, a lot darker, and so they they would be really good comic relief. I just kind of got attached yeah. to them, and that happens. I mean, we, we do a yeah. lot of crossover characters, and... We've always done that. We we yeah. cross pollinate our universe. We cross pollinate the towns, the characters. They're all interchangeable. And yeah. once in a while, you come across one that you just really kind of get attached to for some reason, and and so you let them live, and then you can put them in something else. Yeah, the, the yeah, thriller would... we're working on now is uh, David Masters from Haunted is in it, and several other people. Um, uh, it takes place where Mother did. But we were trying to bring Bobby and Sean into this new book. It's called Spite House. But um, we realized we can't, we just can't have that many people on the island, you know. And we don't want their electricity fixed once that goes out anyway. (laughs) But, yeah, (laughs) we want to see more of Bobby and Sean. And they will, we freely cross over. I can use his characters and my solos. He can use mine. And we use them Uh together. We just share. (laughs) Okay. Have yeah. you ever uh, considered any vampire animals? I mean, Benicula notwithstanding. Oh, that's no. a good question. I really haven't. I've never really thought no. about it, which is funny because, yeah, Benicula. But no, I've never really thought about it. Um, in a way, it was kind of teetering on, on, on the edge of my consciousness when I was writing um, Gretchen's pet spider, Lilith. I thought, well, maybe she, uh. maybe Lilith because Lilith would feed from the from the venom that Gretchen kept in her poison ring, you know, and I thought maybe this, this is kind of a vampire spider, but I, it never really evolved enough for me to do anything with it. It just, I, I don't really know what that would look like. I don't, I don't know what a, a vampire yeah. animal would really, I mean, it worked really well in Benicula, yeah. obviously, but and I, it, I and wouldn't yeah. know how to do that. In Darling Girls, you even explain about how uh, China's tigers are not uh vampiric they're natural right. yeah 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 i like that that was cool you know what i would i would love to see a map of all of these places a map of uh, dri- a driving map of california stopping at all of the you know candle bay and eternity and crimson cove you know where oh, we'll show you after like, the show really, oh, we'll yeah, show you after the show we have one yeah okay. Okay. we have, have somewhere in there we have yeah, we have maps. We we do maps of the towns, and we also 
have maps mm-hmm. of the state. And yeah, one day yeah. we'll we'll get huh? it. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll publish it someday, but have, you can see it. <laughs> the pounds have such interesting source. Although I have to say that uh, you have now, I've changed my mind about my love of dill pickles. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't still know, like I them. <laughs> <laughs> when, speaking of dill pickles, um, how do you stay? Because we were, how do you stay centered on um, on that tightrope when you're doing a really over the top character like Neil in Darling Girls? A lot of editing after the writing. You tell her. Yeah, after. yeah. I don't. Yeah. Speak, well, my first instinct is, do we? <laughs> but my yeah. But my, yeah. But, uh, you know. You, you do get to a point where at the end of the story you're like, okay, this is, you know. Uh, sometimes you want a character to be a little over the top, um, and we both uh, tend to do that. So we did mm-hmm. we did tone him down. Neil, Neil was meant to be over the top, and, and we did kind yeah. of tone him down uh, toward the end. But he, he, yeah, I think it's just in, I think it's just in edits afterward you just kind of, well, yeah, once it. Q reads it no, and goes, I think that's a little much. I almost vomited. Yeah. And then we go, well, maybe we but should tone that a little down. But but he is over the top, and he's he just mm-hmm. came, I don't even remember where he came from. We He wasn't part of the plan. He just kind of showed up, and he was just this we needed outrageously, yeah, yeah, he was just this outrageously despicable yeah. person. And, and he was and he's despicable a in all the ways. He's despicable in all the ways that we think are despicable, and I think most people yeah. think are despicable. He's he's racist. He's sexist. He's homophobic. He's hateful. He's he's everything that that you don't. And he has a crush on his mom. Yes, yeah. He's everything. He's everything you can't stand. And he's this vampire hunter. And I think this was kind of our way of, uh, in a in a in a in a kind of offhand way, you know. Addressing issues of, you know, we all know people who are in a very much, on a much smaller scale, like him, mm-hmm. and it's it's hard to deal uh-huh. with. And he, we just put it right. Yeah. He's just right in your face, and he says all the yeah. things that are all that 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 you don't want to hear. He just tickles but us. But I didn't really worry yeah. a whole lot about toning him down. Um, we no. in edit, we tried to I make him it. a little. Yeah, he was he was kind of supposed to be what he was though. He just came that way. I don't know. <laughs> we, toned down, yeah. we toned down the diarrhea a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we can get really, we can get really visceral and detailed about things. And oh, yeah. you know, we'll get to a point where that's that's a little too much, and we'll we'll tone it down a little bit. But After but I also us. believe I also believe in just kind of uh, unapologetically doing your thing. Um, writers mm-hmm. are not. Writers and their characters are not interchangeable. These these characters do not reflect in any way the opinions of the authors. I mean, ask any author. You, you have yeah. to yeah. have despicable characters. You have to have. Right. And sometimes you do stop and go, you know, this is very offensive. This is really offensive. Yeah. And and the temptation is to go, well, I better reel it in. I don't want to upset people. And then the bigger part of you, the the the, the writer part of you, says no. No, it, yeah. it, it, it should it should upset people. It should be offensive. It's supposed to yeah. be. And I think just, what we reel in most, yeah, and I think what we tend to reel in is we both turn into 10-year-olds at the drop of a hat, and we're with the scatological humor, and we're just going overboard, and that, that's when people say, that might be a bit much. That's what we reel in. We just try not to be, uh, yeah. we try to be 12 years old instead of 10. We, we don't <laughs> add it for the sake of, you know, anybody's sensibilities except, yeah, even we're being awful. <laughs> and and yeah. I have to say, you know, it's um, he was pretty appalling in, as I was reading him. And everything, but when I finished uh, reading the book, I have to say, um, I don't know if it would have been the same, certainly without him. I mean, he's critical to the book. Yeah. So it's sort of like the, the one of the characters, what was the one, uh, the Ignatius O'Reilly um, oh, confederate of, confederacy yeah, of dunces. You know, a character that you just really love to hate, but you sort Hello. of in the end yeah. you're now saying, yeah, I kind of get him. I get that. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. We, we, knew, we knew when we started him once we discovered who he was, because, I mean, right off the bat, that first scene, he was just disgusting. Yes. 
And we knew, yeah. we knew. We're like, people are going to hate him. People are going to be upset about this. And they are. And, you know, but, yeah. but, but, but we, it, it, like I said, it, it just, it gets, you have to be able to say, you have to be able yes. to say this is, mm-hmm. this is who the character is. And, and he did move the story yeah. forward. And he did, he did provide for us some relief from the, you know, the mm-hmm. other stuff that was going on. And, and right. yeah, I don't, yeah. yeah. But he was. He's definitely and he's, not a fun guy. <laughs> yeah. And we needed, you know, there's bad vampires, there are good vampires, there are good pe- humans, there are bad humans, and he's our bad right. human. And boy, like that. It's and necessary. Had another, another element to your stories, and, and it comes out in, in all of them, and this one in so many ways, um, that your books are so well researched uh, regarding setting, history, uh, details like even the plants that are growing and the you know the the smell of the you know the air in that particular region the trees you know all of that sort of thing does your research ever take you down a road that you hadn't planned when you're doing it oh totally totally um, yeah it does it does all the time in fact and and the reason we do that is because it's funny because that kind of ties into this because we we research very very meticulously because I don't mind if we get letters from people saying oh you know you your character did this and this happened and that pisses me off and I'm upset that's great mm-hmm. that's fine with me what I don't want are letters from people saying um this can't happen because you know this plant doesn't grow here at this time of year and then I'm like ah uh-huh. but yeah. um yeah so so research though um, as a matter of fact um, in in the crimson corset. Uh, Gretchen wears a crimson corset. She's my my bad vampire. And I I didn't know why this corset was so important. I'm sure there was something kind of, you know, needling in in my subconscious mind or something or whatever that is. But I felt the need to research corsets more deeply because this corset felt so uh, important. And Mm -hmm. so I started learning about the anatomy of corsets, you know, the busk and the, you know, and the boning. And the word boning <laughs> was, uh, <laughs> was what stood out to me. And I thought, I thought, I thought, my God, that's it. This corset is made from the bones of her mother, which she killed for her power. And that's a big And that's point. where the whole, and so yeah. the whole, so then the title of the book, so then the book centers around this crimson corset. The title of the book becomes the crimson corset, and it all happened because I was researching corsetry. Mm-hmm. So yes, it totally does. I mean, that's how it works. Okay. It's a rabbit hole. You 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 go down one road, and 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 it takes it moves the story. It's it's fascinating. It really is. Okay, I've yeah. got a whole bunch of other questions, but I want to. I'd love to give you some time to talk about a, a couple of things. One is uh, your future plans for the vampires of Candle Bay and Crimson Cove in mm-hmm. solo books and in collaboration. Do you have uh, plans for both of them, for both groups? Yeah, I, I introduced a character that Julian Valentine made, um, a priest, and not an Incan priest, actually. He made it a very long time ago that I really like, and I'm sort of thinking of having them have an adventure together, Julian and, and I forget his English name, mm-hmm. too, but his Incan name. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, then, then there's the collaborative. There's a thing going on between Michael and Julian as well. But, yeah, we'll probably do another Candle Bay and Crimson Cove one. What do you, What about you, Jared? Um, yeah, yeah. I When we... Um... We'll do that for sure, and and but but right now I'm working on I'm working on the uh, uh, straight on sequel from the the Crimson Corset, which you know yeah. is just Crimson Co vampires. There will probably be a little bit of the Candle Bay vampires just on the phone or whatever. But yeah. um, I can I can totally see I can totally see returning to it because it it's it's now I'm feeling this I, after I finished Sleep Savannah Sleep. I wanted to do one more book before I returned to Crimson Cove and it just wasn't happening. I couldn't get it. I couldn't get it. I couldn't get it. And I remembered somebody somewhere, I think it was one of the guests we had on the, on the show and I don't remember who it was said, you know, when I'm blocked, it's because I'm writing the wrong book. And I thought maybe, maybe I'm not on the right book. 
I thought, well, what if I tried yeah. doing the the Crimson Corset sequel? Because I knew I was going to do one anyway. And I sat down, and it's just been flowing right out. And I'm like, that's that's it. This is you know. Yeah. And so it's right hard. now, I'm really I'm really into this. And so I'm thinking, yeah, I want to go on with this for as long as we can. Not yeah. only with the the Crimson Cove vampires that are my my solos, but also the collaborative mm-hmm. uh, vampires with yeah. Adventures of both of them. I, I lo- what yeah. I most love about yours, Alistair, is that the um, we get at the very end of Darling Girls, we hear something about Gretchen, and then you start up crim- uh, the new Crimson Corset without uh, any time having lapsed. Yeah, that yeah, phone exactly. call that they get I, up there starts the everything. Yeah, yeah, very yeah. cool. Can I, can I go a little? Um, off topic of vampires and ask what's going on with Ravencrest. We've sure. started the new book. It's uh we we've shown the cover, I think. Yeah, we have. Um it's the Ravencrest saga Exorcism. And yet we're going there. Mm-hmm. Um the first episode has is just about ready to release well, to edit and then release. As we put it out as a serial novel first and then we put out the entire novel. You want Say something about it, Alistair. Um, we, yeah, I'm really excited about it because we, mm-hmm. at, we after we released the Witches of Ravencrest, this this one we're working on now will be the third book, and really, now, right before we started writing this, we find we 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 understand now. We're seeing the the full picture. I don't know how many books this this series will be. I'm guessing a lot. But mm-hmm. I love where we're going with it. I'm in love oh, yeah. with this series. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So much fun. It's Yeah, we can go everywhere with this series. It's fantastic. It's yeah, gothic. It's, it's got a hint of Rebecca. It's got dark shadows type craziness. You know, we hit on everything. We've done what? Ghosts, zombies, everything. You did yep. one uh, uh, one piece that was a Christmas sort of related. You went back in time mm-hmm. and, and told um, uh, a story uh, about the founding, the founders of yeah. uh, the Raven family. Are, are you going to go uh, look at any of the other historical family members again in, like that? I, or? Yeah. We will yeah, we in are. this one. We're, we will be going to the Gatsby area and talking about the uh, the Greek pool, which was built right before William Randolph Hearst had his Roman pool built. Now, the indoor pool with the dark, it's very spooky, and it, it has been seen repeatedly in the story. But now we're going to find out about the Jazz Age parties and why the pool is so haunted and why Violet LeBlanc, the silent screen star who was married to Henry Manning, lost her mind. Ooh, <laughs> Ooh yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we both love the Roaring Twenties, and so we're gonna go. Mm-hmm. We're gonna do a, a total, a total flashback to the Twenties. Uh, just yeah, yeah, I'm excited about that. Yeah, yeah. Any are. other, any other projects you wanted to talk about, or? Well, our our new main yeah, collaboration think... is Spite House, and that's a thriller uh, set in Snapdragon, like Mother was. But it takes place on an island and uh, in a house cut off from everywhere. And there's a dozen writers gathered together and all the murders begin. So it's a little odd to Christie, but it's our style. It's, it's, you know, and there's lots of ghost stories. And there's a mystery central to everything and crazy people. And all, oh, we're having a blast, aren't we? Yeah, this okay. one, this one, I'm this one I love absolutely love this yeah. one. This is the the one that I feel, and I always loved the one that we're writing at the time, and, and oh, yeah. I do love them all. I wouldn't write them, but this one, <laughs> this one to me is really special. I just, yes, yeah. I'm just happy with it. I'm really happy with this one, where it's going. Me too. Well, we're not that far into it, but yeah, no. Then we've got a lot to look forward to, and uh, I think I think we've, we're just about out of time. But um, I can say that I I can tell everybody listening that from what I've heard, uh, there's a lot of really great writing coming your way. So, Aw, thank you. you know, I, 
thank you so much for, for bringing me on to talk to you guys, and I had a really fun time. All right. Aww. That was great. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, well. So listen to us next week when we return on Torn yep, Cross yep. on Nice Live. Find us on AlistairCross.com and TamaraTorn.com and Facebook and Twitter and all that fun stuff. That's and, right. Um, and until next week, we wish you haunted nights, sweet screams, and be sure to check under the bed before you turn off the light. No. All right. And thank you, Q, for, for interviewing us. It was fun. Thank yes. you. My pleasure. <laughs> it was. All right. And thank you, everybody, for okay. listening. We don't have any. Mm-hmm. We don't have any music, so it's, the show's just going to end. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Okay. Night, everybody. Bye.